You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. It, it spoke with such a rele- relevant, powerful truth to me. Took me back, of course, it's hard not to, to the moment when Elijah handed in searching for Elisha and Elisha took the mantle, took that which God wanted to accomplish in him that had been started in Elijah. And we watched these moments of transfer. We watched these moments of connection. We often don't recognize that the, the ministry of faith, the ministry of belief, this good news message was designed to be passed connection to connection to connection. And because we don't step fully into that, we seem to put a parenthesis around our own lives, believing that I, I'm supposed to live out something, something that God has designed for me, without fully, even more maybe to the extreme of recognizing that the greater purpose of my life is not to simply live the the life I have, but to make sure that the life I have got passed to the ones following. I look at those who passed the message to me. Men like Ian Thomas, Didn't hear of him until Ronnie Bailey in Sunday school one morning said, I have somebody I need to introduce you to. So he went home and got this little package of cassette tapes. And I was suddenly introduced to Ian Thomas. Rex Clayton was our pastor. And I went to Rex. I said, can I invite him to come? And yet Rex said, sure, invite him. We waited two years because of his schedule for, for Ian Thomas to come and lead us for a week. I was there on Sunday morning, and I got called to Chicago. I left Sunday afternoon, so I missed the week after waiting two years for him to come. But the profound effect that Ian Thomas had on me, and I saw him only a few times over the course of our lives. One time at First Baptist in Lubbock, when he was preaching there, one at uh, uh, Lubbock Bible Church at the time, a uh, few other places where, where we connected. And, and it was amazing to me that no matter where we were, after this guy that preaches 40-plus weeks a year all over the world, from New Zealand to Great Britain through the United States and Australia, everywhere else, that every time I would see him, he'd call me by name. I'd call to order books. Uh, they lived in, uh, his wife lived at Estes Park, and I'd call and, and uh, I'd order books, and she'd say, well, the major's here. Do you want to talk to him for a while? So we'd get on the phone and visit. But it was always amazing because he created for me a connection. For, for Dale Kane, a connection made that he passed so much to me. The, the list for me is long of those men and women who passed so much to me. And I, and I recognize the value of it. So the question then that we leave to all, because I think everyone in the room 
could be able to identify some who passed something to them. Some connection, some truth, some revelation, some prophecy that, that was passed to us. And we get to recognize what that means to us. The question then is like, is he ended? I'm so grateful that it was me. But he ends with those words, but now it's you. The connections are being passed. I love the opportunities that I have throughout the week to meet with people, young and old, because I'm, I'm recognizing what God's doing. He's allowing these connections to be made that my life, at the end of my life, will have stood for something so much larger than what my individual life by itself could have possibly ever meant. It's all him. But I cherish the ability for those connections. When I was... It was interesting that the message in that video hit about the same time because one gave such credibility to the other. But what I, what I really had on my mind to share tonight was how Jesus actually built those connections, that Jesus was such a powerful bridge builder. But as I began to recognize this and start understanding what he did to build those bridges the first thing I realized was that he couldn't build the bridges until he knocked the walls down first. So it was the, the bridge building was required two steps. The first was he had to tear walls down. And we will not be effective, none of us will be effective bridge builders if we don't knock walls down first. Because we will have to contort that bridge. If I was going to build a bridge for many, I would have to try to build the bridge instead of, instead of just simply building the bridge. It would have to be contorted around the walls that they have put up between themselves and other people. The walls have to come down first. You will never be. I will never be. Collectively as a church, we will never be effective bridge builders if we're not first demolition experts at tearing down the walls that are, that are around us. We know that Jesus knocked down the walls between the Jews and the Samaritans. We get to read that in the stories. John 4, verses 4 through 9. That's exactly what's happening. Acts 8, verses 4 through 9. He's knocking down the walls in these stories between the Jews and the Samaritans. The woman at the well. What's he doing? He's dismantling a wall between two groups of people. He will continue to dismantle walls, I hope, my prayer is that sooner than later, he will dismantle the walls between this building and that building. I don't care if we continue to meet in separate buildings. I just want the real walls, the ones that really matter, to come down. So that what happens there will be, will be a, a major thought to us and, and, and vice versa. That, that, that our shared lives will truly matter instead of, instead of year by year what's happened for so long is that the brick wall just became thicker and taller all the time. And I've seen progress in the, in the bringing down of that wall, but God has a desire because it's very hard to say, I'm going to build a bridge into people's lives when some of those bridge, people that I would love to have contact with are on the other side of that wall. Tear down the wall first. The bridge is much builder. He broke down the wall 
uh, th that were erected by the self-righteous of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees. So what he's telling us is I want to, I want to, I have to take down religious walls. I have to take down denominational walls or the bridges will be very contorted because I will only want to build a bridge. If we were still the former church that we once were, the bridge would leave here and we could make this connection to, to, to Fairview. The bridge would pick up there and I'm not sure which of the first churches it would hit in, in Leveland, First Baptist Church, but it would bounce through all the Baptist churches and then it would go, there would be a branch that goes out to Whiteface, that would swing up to Morton and the bridge would look very strange because it would only land in Baptist congregations because there's walls. So it's very clear, Luke 15, 1 and 2, then all, the, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What, were, what was happening? Jesus was tearing down a wall. What were the Pharisees doing? Propping it up. What's he doing? Yeah, what's he doing meeting there? Because there's, a, there's always been a wall between us and those tax collectors. There's been a wall between us and those sinners. And Jesus is eating with them, tearing it down. And they're stand, they're, in their words, they're trying to prop it up. Luke 19, verse 5 and through 7. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. So there again, you have Jesus tearing down a wall, making a connection, restoring a life, doing those things, building a bridge into Zacchaeus' heart. And we got the murmuring over here of the Pharisees who are saying, but you just, you're, you're, you're knocking down a wall that we value extremely. We will never be good in these connections. From Sunday morning when I showed the video of, of Reinhard Bonnke as he was, saw this vision of a blood-soaked, a blood-covered Africa, you notice that there's no denominational, there's no denominational lines no religious lines drawn on that map as it was being covered with that blood. The walls come down. The blood flows very easily. He broke down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles, not only the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, but he broke it down between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I love this passage. This is one of my favorites, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus who, who, let me start over, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. You recognize he could not build a bridge until the partitions came down. Man, these are powerful words, powerful pictures. Every resentment we hold, every bridge that we build between ourselves and someone else, for whatever reason that, that bridge is there, I mean, that wall is there. The bridge becomes more difficult to build. I find today that I don't see many believers who are wanting to build the bridges. 
I don't find many believers who are wanting to make the connection with the younger generation. They will do it at convenient times. They will do it in the, in the course of, of a passing of a day. But to set out and say, I want to mentor. I want to take someone. Again, I, I know it's a fictional movie, but I, I love War Room. Give me another one, Lord. Give me another one. Give me another one. Man, that heart that says, I've got something valuable that God has bestowed and given to me that I can pass to another generation. Man, it's like something passes from me to Parker. And I'm so grateful for that. And it's not so that my load gets easier. It's so that I can begin and, and there can be another one of him and there can be maybe 10 of him and maybe there can be 20 of him because I don't want this, I, I don't want my last breath spent to be one in rest and, and vacation and days off. I want it to be my last one to be in the passing and the building of that bridge to somebody else. Again, I, lo I, I love the, the song, Broken and Spilled Out, Used Up. Man, I, I, I don't want there to be anything left. I want it to be, I want it to be fully used. He built bridges. Walls have come down. Now then, he built bridges into the lives of individuals. Imagine the transforming nature of his presence in the life of Mary and of Martha and of Lazarus, of Nicodemus. Imagine the life-changing reality of his presence with the leper, the lame, the blind, Bartimaeus, all of these individuals. Again, how many of those, would, from a religious perspective, if that wall had been built, he would have never approached. But with him, there was no wall. The ground had been leveled. They were as valuable to him. The woman at the well was as valuable to him. The disciples get back and wondering, why is he having this conversation? Why is all this going on? Because he valued her as much as he valued them. Strange for them. But Jesus built walls, I'm sorry, built bridges in the lives of individuals. Do you think it made any difference in their lives? All the difference. I love the picture. And it's because it's so significantly formed in my head beginning in John 14 and 15 and 16, when Jesus is, is going away. And he has his disciples with him, and he's giving them this last conversation. And it's one conversation all the way through chapter 17. And I love the fact that Jesus says, I must go away. Because at that time, the only person, because he was sinless, that was qualified to fully hold the Holy Spirit, the way that he did, was Jesus. But Jesus said, I don't need there to be one. I need there to be a million of me. And then I need there to be two million of me. And I need there to be three million and ten million of me. 
so that if I go away and I deal with their sin and I clean this compartment called their spirit so that they can be fully righteous before me, then I can send my spirit to live in them so that, so that everywhere they go, I get to go so that everywhere we get to go, lives will be transformed. And then to come back into that passage that we study in Sunday school, at the, at, at, in Hebrews chapter 10, the end of chapter 11, when he's gone through this great, this tremendous uh, hall of fame of faith that's listed there, by faith, by faith, by faith, and then he gets in toward the end and he just lumps this group together and by faith, Samuel and David, and he just, I mean, just a huge hall of fame of faith. And he begins to talk about all they've done from the, from the, from the raising of the dead to the battles that they won, all the things that they have done. And it says they, they received a good report. But it also says, like in verse 30, but they received not the promise. Man. Matthew, can you imagine being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses according to Hebrews 12? And that great cloud of witnesses is all of those who are listed in chapter 11. And you walk in here and, and here's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and David and Samuel and they're all sitting here. And you walk in and the room gets real quiet. And you're, you come up here and it's like, oh, this seems way out of line here. Why would they get quiet because you entered the room? Because you received the promise. They knew what they, they, knew what they had done only with the Holy Spirit outside them. Imagine what you're going to tell them that you have done, that we've done, because we've got God inside us. Who are they going to want to hear from? They're going to want to hear from us. They're going to want to hear what God has done through us because they knew that they were that, that this was their list of stuff, that, yeah, they had turned away the enemy. They had fought these fights. They had seen the dead raised. They had, this was their testimony. They had received a good report, but they hadn't gotten what we have. So when one of us walks in the room who has received the Holy Spirit, who's received the promise and he now lives in us, they're going to want to hear, man, what's that like? So that everything you do is the result of his hands working through you. Where, did, where, did, where have his feet taken you? What has his mouth spoken from you? What, whose lives, what lives have been transformed? Man, I want to tell you, when we, when we recognize the bridges that he built with individuals, he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's telling them, I want a relationship with you. I still, Kendall was the one who introduced me to this picture many years ago because he, I don't think he realized the mess he was going to make in the attempt to do this, but uh, 
he gave everybody in, in the youth group a paper cup. And he began to pour water into his cup. And he told them, he said, I don't want to stop pouring, but I want to fill your cup. And I, I don't know if he had planted somebody, but somebody grabbed something sharp and poked a hole in the bottom of his cup, so they began to fill their cup. And somebody poked another hole and began to fill their cup. And he said, what, what, you know, how do we keep this going? So another person got a, something sharp. And so now you've got this cascading water filling every cup from cup to cup to cup. Bridges, connections made. Recognizing, so when, when I talk about it today, to me it's when the Holy Spirit fills me and I begin to pour over it from the top that the people around me are going to be touched not by what I can create, but what he pours into me and then comes out. See, that's how these connections are made. That's, I, it's not me out trying to make connections with young people and others. It has to be the Spirit of God overflowing, and you can't stop the connections from being made. It's not effort anymore. It's just the reality of what he does. By his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, he built bridges that reach into the lives of the lost. That's quite a remarkable picture. Because it wasn't, again, our mentality has been that lost men seek Jesus, lost men seek a Savior. Not true. It was Jesus who came to seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus was building a bridge into the lives of those who were lost. He did it by his death. He did it by his burial. He did it by his resurrection. By his life, he built bridges from emptiness to fullness for those who believe. Listen to this. This is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. It was interesting to sit with someone this past week and the conversation was forgiveness. And she said, I forgive and 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 I, forgive and I said, lady, wrong word. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, What's been the success rate of your forgiveness? And she said, I seem to have to do it often and repeated. I said, it's because you're trying to offer them your forgiveness and you don't have any adequate forgiveness. You have to recognize that the forgiveness is his. It's not your forgiveness at all. She said, it's amazing. I've never understood that. Now, see, that seems obvious to me. But it only seems obvious to me because of, uh, and I tell the story and I won't mention names, but I went to a person that I don't even remember exactly how the offense occurred. But I went to them and said, and asked them to forgive me. And the answer was no. I will not. So a few days later, I saw this same person who happened to be at United in Leveland. I saw the same person get into a car, and uh, man, the, the old anger was there. 
the moment that he said, no, I won't receive, I won't offer, I won't accept your forgiveness, I won't accept your apology. And uh, instantly the old was back and the Holy Spirit just immediately said, Randy, that's not yours. He's forgiven. It was my forgiveness, by the way. You didn't do it, I did. I did it through you. You don't have a, you don't have a choice now. Forgiveness is in place. And it was such a shocking moment to realize that something that I knew had just become very real to me, that that was his forgiveness that, that was extended to that man, not mine, and that I didn't have the privilege of picking up the offense again because the forgiveness was solidly in place. And then a few, a few weeks later, not very long, that person came around and the, and the complete friendship was restored. It was, it was remarkable. But you realize how frail that could have been had I picked up that old offense again. Instead of recognizing that it wasn't my forgiveness in the first place, it's not my goodness that I give to someone. Again, I use the illustration often, and you've heard it many times, how strange it would be if I expected this bottle to produce water. If this bottle was empty and I, need, and I needed a drink, I, and I, I get this bottle out and I say, okay, bottle, do your thing. I need a drink. And I look down and it's like, there's still nothing in it. Oh, I know. I know what it needs. I'll send it to some type of a technical water producing school and I will send this bottle off so that it will come back well-educated knowing how to produce water. So I send the bottle off to the school. It, they, it comes back wearing this, this uh, mortar board or whatever the thing's called and uh, fully graduated from the technical school and I look down and there's no water. Well, I know what's wrong. It doesn't have enough incentive to do it. So I begin to build incentives around this water production for this, for the, and entice it to produce water. And I look down and it won't produce water. I know it needs, it needs motivation. So I hire cheerleaders to come in and dance around in a band to play so that this bottle will produce water. What's going to be the outcome? It can't do it. What's the chances I can produce goodness? None. You can send me to school. I can graduate from seminary. You can hire cheerleaders and you can, and, and you can make all kinds of enticements for me as a pastor so that I can produce some goodness and the result will be exactly the same. I can't do it. I wasn't designed. That bottle wasn't designed to produce water. It was designed to hold it. I wasn't designed to produce goodness. I was designed to hold it so that the goodness could, I could be filled with it and overflow with it so that the goodness of God could, could fill me and flow onto the life of, the, of others. That's about as simple a picture of the Christian life as I can possibly paint. Bridges built between emptiness and fullness because of the fruit of the Spirit. He built bridges across generations and united together the young, the adult, and the elderly. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, the younger man as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who, who are really widows. 
He's telling this young pastor, I want you to build connections. I want you to build them with those who are older. I want you to build them with those who are younger. I want you to do this. Man, what, again, what a powerful instruction for us, for us today to recognize that this same spirit that lived in me, that lives in Jesus now lives in me, that I too am a bridge builder. I, am, I, am, I knock down walls. We all do. We build bridges every day. One of the most important is that it's what we, what we heard up here. He builds bridges in ministry. If we would ever believe that, and I'm not talking about on a superficial way, but deeply believe that he is a bridge builder in ministry, then the Wednesday night class I'm hoping to be able to teach in Lubbock that we've asked so many churches, if we could, they don't have things on Wednesday night, could we just rent your building? Use your facility? No. No. We don't know what you're going to say. Do I? No, it's just simply because they don't trust what doesn't originate in them. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of things. So we have, we have found a place now. I haven't had a chance to go talk to the people about it, but they've, they've, they've made it very, very reasonable. They will provide the security and everything else for us. So, uh, but it's, uh, again, it's still, it's still in the works of trying to get that to happen. But you realize that there's not many bridges in ministry. I've got, I've got so many stories of, of the walls built, and they're, and they're so solid and they're so firm, and we wonder why there's no bridges built in ministry. But uh, even, again, I, I've, I've only attempted to walk through this kind of transition once, uh, a little bit with Dale, because Dale was so, uh, when I told Dale the vision that I'd received on December 27, 2006, uh, I told him in February, and he, re he resigned in April because he was so, he, said, he told me, he said, last October, I was released from here, but I couldn't leave until you said that. So now I know I can. But you know, it took it took almost a year from that point for uh, for it to all fall in place. So there was a bit of a transition there. But when you look at the method of moving from one pastor to the other, you realize there is no bridge. It's a cliff you fall off of. And you, and you proceed a little, and then, and then it's a cliff you hope to climb. But that's been the nature of pastor transition. There is no bridge. And it's like, that's a, strange, that, that's a strange thing when we understand the heart of God. Because here's Jesus walking with 12 men so that this transition can actually occur. The whole thing was about a transition. It was, the whole thing was about teaching them, training them, so that, so that they could be those, those apostles that could, that could continue to do what, that, what he had started. The whole three and a half years of ministry was about a transition from him to them to us. And we don't recognize the value of the transition. 
It's a competition. And again, that's not hard to understand where that comes from because, again, when you, when you start teaching that this Bible is about, is about doing and you start preaching from the pulpit, what are you doing for God? It's very easy to get into this performance-based reality or performance-based Christianity because the concept is the more you do, the happier God gets with you. So that, that not only takes root within an individual, it takes root within a congregation. The more we do, the happier God gets with us. Like, no, not exactly the case. Because there's not a single time in this New Testament when he, says, when he asks us to do something for him. That's where performance comes from. But 150 times he says, in him we live, in him we breathe, in him we have our being. Because it's not a book of doing, it's a book of identity. It's hard to build bridges when you're competing. Yeah, yeah. When I heard this, and, and, the, and the Lord had placed this on my heart about, because it really, this, this sermon started really at, at its origin about two weeks ago when uh, I spent several nights, sometimes late in the night, sometimes because I wasn't sleeping, uh, typing this uh, conversation that I wanted to have with Parker and Sarah. And I covered every topic that I could possibly cover. Uh, started with the fact that he now becomes the CEO of a small company. It's just part of the reality of of what you do. It's not the most glamorous part. It's not the most fun part, but it's still true. And there were certain things I needed to tell him about what that role looks like. And I moved into leadership. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit had me write under, under leadership was leaders are bridge builders. That's where this conversation started. Because it, the thought began to grow of how do we build bridges. And so that, that, that's been, this has been the outcome of that. And somewhere in that, uh, this Reinhard Bonnke died in December. So there's just been a lot of conversation about him. So I, I, he, he would pop up, you know, as, uh, as videos to watch because there had been so many views and so many people looking and different things. So... Uh, this is one of them that I, that I heard him speaking on as well as the one I showed on Sunday. But uh, I really wish, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, not my wish, but I really wish that we would get a new vision of, of building bridges and recognizing that my life wasn't just given to me. It was given to everyone around me. I don't get to stand as an island. I'm part of, of something significantly bigger. Comments? All right, Father, thank you tonight that we could just look at this just for a moment. Recognize what you did to tear down the bridges, the, the walls that were so prominent around you and how poorly it was accepted 
They hated you for it. You disrupted everything that they were about. The walls they trusted, the walls that created the division, but the walls that gave them power, the walls that gave them privilege, they did not want to come down. And we see the same today. But Father, it didn't deter you. It didn't change the course. You continued then to tear them down. And I pray, Father, that you would find us faithful in that work today. Father, as the walls come down, the bridges build. It's just interesting picture, Father, that the rubble of the, of, of the walls we pick up and begin to use in the building of the bridges. Thank you, Father, that you've called us to this ministry, that you allow us to speak into the lives of others. We get to invest time, truth, wisdom, love, into the lives of those around us. What a privilege, what a blessing, what a responsibility. We see it and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.